You're listening to Citizen Reporter number 426 for the 10th of July, 2012. I'm Chiquita Banana and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you You can put them in a salad no, not yet, my dear. That greenish way you're looking means that you are ripe for cooking. How about me? No, no. When you are fully ripe, my dear, those little flecks of brown appear. Me? You're most digestible, my friend. Delicious, too, from end to end. You can put them in a pie. Any way you want to eat them. It's impossible to beat them, but bananas like the climate of the very, very tropical equator. So you should never put bananas in the refrigerator. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, CitizenReporter.org, another podcast. And today we're talking about an issue that if you've ever seen me at a party, I've probably brought it up and you're probably sick and tired of me bringing it up. And it is the, uh, the banana industry. And uh, instead of having to listen to me, which is painful at some point, uh, I have somebody far more interesting and wiser. Uh, I'm very pleased to bring you uh, Dan Capel. I should properly pronounce it. Dan Capel. Right, Dan? You're right. Hi. Right. Thank you for having me. <laughs> the most backwards introduction you've ever had, I'm sure. <laughs> um, that's not the case, but <laughs> it's, right. it's, it was a good one. All right. Uh, so if, if people don't know, I, I think some might because, um, I mean, you do many things. You're a journalist. You're a writer. You're an ultimate Frisbee player, I think. No, so, that's actually no. not one of the things I do. I r ride bikes. and uh, oh, the bikes thing. I knew we had a connection. I thought it was yeah. Frisbee. Uh, did, and... I did go to uh, Hampshire College, which is known for uh, its Frisbee prowess uh, in, in, in really? the U.S., but um, I'm not a, not a disc guy. Okay, so I won't accuse you of that, but in 2008, you wrote this book, and that's when I really, I found you, um, Banana, the, the Fate of the Fruit That Changed the World, and, I mean, it's not the only banana book out there in the world, but it's, um, it's the one that most came to my attention and, and impacted me in my, in my thought about this yellow fruit. Um, it's been a few years, right, so I'm not gonna present this as, you know, Dan, tell us about your book, but it's an issue, I mean... Banana in itself has a huge story, right? It's political, it's social, it's scientific. Um, and I think at the same time, it's extremely underreported. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't, you, you do see the banana being mentioned um, in, in the media. And a lot of times it's sort of the same in the, in the did you know category. You know, people eat these, this many bananas. It's the most popular fruit. Uh, sometimes you hear about it being threatened by disease, but, but you rarely sort of see it being presented as what it is, which is this industrial product that has done so much damage and which is actually worked as a template for corporate you know, corporate corporatization of, of food and, and, and all kinds of things. The banana sort of invented what the oil companies do well, in, in a way, and what almost all multinationals do well, in a, in a sense. Which, which is to, to ship things all over the world in a very uniform way, no? Right, <laughs> and, to, and, to, and to turn 
you know, the, the natural landscape into a factory. Uh, I always tell people when they talk about banana plantations, they think of these idyllic sort of uh, warm places, sleepy, lazy. In fact, a banana plantation is is a factory in, in the jungle. And, and uh, the turning of, of the jungle into a factory is, is something the banana company invented. Um, but it's no different than turning the you know the sands of of the uh, Middle Eastern deserts into a factory or, or anything similar. Yeah, and I guess it can be set apart because what if somebody says, well, isn't uh, an apple orchard you know on a mass scale uh, also a bit of a factory? But I mean, I guess bananas and the banana companies that are growing them they've really set themselves apart from the other fruits. Yeah, they've because they do it so well and because they've standardized on a single fruit. So the the production. Um, mechanism that brings bananas to us is no different than the production mechanism that brings McDonald's hamburgers to us. It's yeah. it's it's that sophisticated, that well run, and 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 that damaging to to every 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 person who comes into contact with it. Yeah, I remember in an interview, uh, it might have been a few years ago, you said it was kind of like the Big Mac of the fruit world. It's supposed to be exactly the same no matter where you are. <laughs> yeah, and that consistency—that uh, consistency is a great thing. Uh, in in theory, it's it, because it's it makes the banana really cheap and and cheap fruit. I mean, who who doesn't like the idea of cheap fruit? The banana is really the only fruit that competes with junk food on a, on a price level. Yet at the same time, to get the fruit so cheap, you've really got to harm the environment, and you've got to at least the way it's structured now you 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 do a lot of a lot of injury to workers and the environment and 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 politically it's so it's 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 not just sort of this benign cheap fruit that that the banana companies would like people to think it is yeah i mean when you get people talking about bananas they they've all got a little something to say about it but it's usually oh i like bananas or don't um but you know, when I think back to, like, um, primary school, we learned at some point, and I don't think this happens all over the world, because I'm here in the Netherlands, and I don't know that they get the... You remember the food pyramid? Sure, and sure. in the food pyramid, there's fruit, and there's probably three fruits that appear representing fruits. <laughs> and this is back, of course, in the 80s, but um, it was an apple, which makes sense to me, because apples, if you travel outside your city, you probably eventually run into apple, apple growers, uh, depending on how far you travel. But um, in that, that, that triangle, or the pyramid, the, the banana was right there behind the apple. Um, which is weird because I was in New Jersey, and it's a lot like we had bananas in one state over or, or, or two states over. Yeah, it's it, the the fact that the banana arrives in our temperate climate is really a miracle of 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 industrialization. It it shouldn't be here. Um, it shouldn't be the price it is um, when you consider how perishable bananas are, how far they have to be shipped. Uh, that it costs less than apples uh, is, which as you point out, are usually grown very close to a lot of people's homes. It it really shouldn't be there. And and the the emergence of the banana on the food pyramid is not chance. I mean, the banana companies <laughs> have been, for a hundred years, have been really good at inserting themselves into schools, into health, health literature. Um, they, they, this is, this is marketing. It's not, it's not just common sense, uh, nutrition. 
Right, and and that's the weird thing too. Like, there's a certain element here. I think some people think I'm automatically, or that you're automatically, telling a story about evil corporations. Um, you know, getting themselves thought of in a certain way, acting a certain way. But the more I read, the more I look around. Like many things in life, um, there are as many. Oh well, there are many bad aspects to the banana world, and there are good aspects as well. And what I'm saying is, the banana is actually uh, healthy. Compared to some other snacks, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question. It, it really is. I mean, I have a, a twenty-one month old son, and he eats bananas exclusively. He loves them. I'm, I'm happy for that. He doesn't like apples nearly as much, and I, I <laughs> I'm happy that he's asking for that and not potato chips or candy or cookies. Um, I mean, we were in the supermarket yesterday, and he ate two bananas as we were wheeling through the <laughs> through the store. So, so it it isn't a bad product, um, you know, just taken as it is. It's just that there is a cost beyond the money we spend for it, um, and the banana industry has been so relentlessly focused on making this the lowest priced fruit in the supermarket that it has had to do terrible things to make that happen. You can't sell a banana cheaper than an apple without cutting costs somewhere, and those costs are cut in respect for the environment and respect for the workers. And it's been that way for over 100 years. It's a really compromised but great product. Yeah, you divided at one point, I think you called it, there's the people who want bananas, like the world is divided into the people who want bananas and the people who need it. And I kind of had to read that twice. There's a lot of things in your book that I had to read twice to really see it in my head. Um, you know, let, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, let's say there are, and we're going to get into the, the, the problems of the banana industry, but let's say there would be, you know, no bananas available in, in the Netherlands. Uh, we would... I think a lot of people here would go, well, okay, I would miss it, right? But then there are the people in the world that their their lives depend on this. Sure. So, you know, the the banana we eat, that's the single variety, is is uh, called Cavendish. But there are actually about a thousand types of banana. And the other, let's say, 999 are mostly subsistence bananas. And in parts of the world, especially in Africa, um, but also in Asia, people rely on the banana as their primary source of nutrition. And so it's, it's a different breed of the fruit, yet they're intertwined in their agricultural practices and especially in how disease is spread among the entire um, banana species. So these, these people um, in, in Uganda, for example, who, who eat, you know, 90% of their calories come from bananas are, are really the people, as you say, who need bananas and bananas are sick all around the world uh, because of the industrial way we farm them the banana monoculture has helped to spread disease to the subsistence crops and so you get this issue of people starving without their bananas and and that's that's a critical issue and all across the world banana crops are dying how does the world banana sort of supply break down because i i always thought that Oh, Colombia, mm, maybe Ecuador, no, in that region, in other words, Latin America, South America. I always thought that was the primary place, but the more I read and look around, I learn you just named Uganda, I think even Australia. Where, where, how does it, is it a percentage thing, if you could break it down? Well, the, the banana, the largest banana growing country in the world is India. Huh. Um, the second largest is Brazil. 
neither of those countries export bananas in any quantities to speak of. The third largest, Ecuador, exports about 95% of its bananas. So um, most of the places we get our bananas from, ironically, are not places where bananas are a subsistence food. Um, we don't get many bananas from Africa, if any. Um, some in Europe come from the Canary Islands, um, but, but very few of them. Now, that is beginning to change as banana companies look for new places to grow bananas as disease threatens the current places. But right now, um, India, um, which grows more bananas than anyone, uh, and Indians eat more bananas than anyone, they don't, they don't send a lot of their amazing, delicious, other variety bananas out there um, into the world. The Cavendish variety, the, the variety that we get in our supermarkets, it, it depends who you ask, but it accounts for between 40 and 60% of the world market. But mm. that still leaves billions and billions and billions of tons of these subsistence bananas and plantains, which are our cooking bananas, basically, uh, for, for people to, to eat in, in um, the non-banana exporting parts of the world. Um, how hard is it? I mean, you must have noticed or, or thought about it as, you, as you, you've been doing your research, because I know you continue to follow the, this world of bananas. How hard is it if I'm in Brazil and I have a love for a certain type of banana and, and, and maybe I have property to grow it, I mean, on a mass scale, how hard is it to, to start exporting and be like another name? Because, I mean, the big names at this point, what, Dole, Chiquita, and maybe a third that I'm forgetting at the moment. Yeah, uh, there's some uh, there are some other big names, um, but but basically Dolce Kita, and they're all using the same boats. Um, how hard is it? I mean, that's a really good question. I, according to the banana industry, and according to the evidence on your supermarket shelves, it's impossible <laughs> to bring a non, almost impossible to bring a non Cavendish variety. Now you'll see little bananas sometimes. You'll see red bananas. You'll see an occasional other variety in the supermarket, which are not this single uh, Cavendish variety. But in terms of market share, about 99.9% of the export market is this single variety. And the banana companies for 100 years have been saying, that's all. Um, and it's the McDonald's model. Uh, McDonald's is not going to radically alter its menu because its systems are designed to deliver hamburgers with paramount efficiency. If, if McDonald's did delivered something else, it would no longer be able to charge that low price. It wouldn't be McDonald's. It would be some other kind of restaurant. Um, the banana industry is exactly the same. They have developed what I like to call a Cavendish-shaped pipe that comes from their exporting nations to your table. And only this single banana variety fits in the pipe. So for a small entrepreneur to build a new pipe would require incredible amounts of, of technology. Everything from changes in the way the banana ripens, uh, so you'd have to ship it quicker. Um, you'd have to market it differently because some bananas don't look the same when they're ripe. You'd have to educate consumers. The taste would be different. So all these things are used by the banana companies as an argument against bringing alternate varieties. Now, is that true? Can it, is it really impossible? I say it's actually totally possible um, mm. and should happen. But the banana companies have a very, very focused mindset. Um, they're stuck in their business model, which ultimately will be a failing business model, by the way. Um, but, but that is their business model. And so for an entrepreneur to bring it, you would have to have a lot of investment um, and a lot of vision and you'd have to convince supermarkets to sell your product and that that would be one of the toughest parts
Yeah, I mean, we live in this era. It, it feels like um, something is changing. I mean, that's just a feeling, of course. It may not be true. Uh, in terms of consumption. And so here in this part of Europe, and, and when I go back to New Jersey, there is a wave, there is a, a push that um, people want to know where their food comes from. And, and sometimes that translates to they want things organic if possible. So here, of course... Um, organic bananas are, you know, they're taking up, I don't know, let me break it down to 40% of the banana shelf these days. I mean, they're really, you know, at least Amsterdam, very progressive place. But does this mean any any big change in, in how bananas produce? And I, I ask this because they look the same. Um, yep. It looks like they're coming from the same place. Well, I, I mean, I, I hate to be yeah. negative um, about this. Uh, and if you... Uh, you know, let's let's put aside for a second the issue of how far bananas are shipped and all that stuff because it's really an individual choice, and everything we buy is is imported from somewhere in in a mm -hmm. way. So if you're going to buy bananas, yeah, of course, organic and or fair trade is better, um, but it's mostly symbolic. Um, or the problem with bananas is that they're a monoculture. The environmental and social damage bananas do is related to the fact that we have a single variety. And unfortunately, the organic variety is the same. Monoculture is dangerous. It's economically unsupportable. It's bad for the environment and for the people growing it, whether or not it's organic. Sure, organic's a little bit better, but, but it's still the monoculture. And it's unfortunate to me that you see a lot of effort being expended on developing fair trade and organic Cavendish bananas when that energy to me should be spent on finding ways to bring alternate varieties which hmm. should be organic and fair trade also but mm -hmm. as long as you're on the cavendish train or the <laughs> cavendish boat you're part of the problem i tell people that in lectures all the time they hate to hear it but you're you're still dealing with yeah. that same monoculture and that's the real problem that's where the banana disease comes from that's where the threat to subsistence bananas come from and and so Yes, absolutely. Buy organic bananas over um, over uh, fair over non-organic because it's possibly a little better for the workers to not be sprayed with pesticides. Although I'm suspicious that, that that's actually happening, but um, but it's oh. not. Yeah. So, so uh, for those like catching up a little, I mean, we haven't gotten into the, and, and we may not today because it, it deserves, deserves its own half an hour or more on the history, the sort of political history. But there you touched upon, you know, the use of pesticides, um, which people may, you know, suspect is dangerous. But, I mean, we, we do have proof, right, where case, well, cases have been brought where uh, banana workers, uh, I remember, what was it, a blue pesticide, or at least it, it had the color blue that, yeah. that had a huge impact on uh, negative impact on people's health this hasn't been ever proven or oh no it's been proven i mean uh, oh, okay. and 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 uh the i mean uh, here in the u.s a uh, dole is is has recently been sued for using a, a pesticide called nemagon um, which sterilized workers probably gave them cancer uh, and dole has worked very hard to suppress um information about that they even went so far as to uh, uh sue a documentary filmmaker and, and lost um, but but uh, the the use of pesticides in in the banana world is increasing. Um, that's because we have a banana monoculture. So when you have a single variety uh, of fruit, when one gets sick, everyone gets sick. Um, and these bananas get sick very very easily. Uh, they build up resistance to the pesticides that are being used. So right now there are about twelve banana diseases, and 
all of them are rampant and all of them require uh, increased use of pesticides over the years as as they become more resistant to the chemicals that are being used as mm-hmm. far as organics are concerned yeah organics do not require that but organics can't be grown everywhere they require soil conditions that that uh, resist these these blights naturally and eventually organics do succumb and so bad news organic plantations eventually will become conventional plantations so you look at a situation where you may be cutting new rainforests to build an organic plantation you want that virgin soil uh, which is clean and disease free but eventually uh, it will become conventional and so uh, it's very problematic Going back just one step to where you were talking about monoculture um, and and this decision, I mean, it seems like it was a decision at one point. You know, we want to be international company that that has bananas all over the world. Uh, there must have been a researcher, uh, may, if not back then, since then, either working within the banana, banana industry or outside that says to them, "Listen, this is really dangerous. It's 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 we can prove it. You know, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Is it just that? I mean." researchers are, are put to the side in this case and, and have been for, for many decades now. Um, is it somehow like the profit is worth the risk, so therefore that's why we do bananas this way? Yeah. I mean, uh, ever, since the early 1920s, banana industry researchers and, and independent scientists have been saying the monoculture is dangerous. It's, it's bad for the industry. It's bad for people. It's bad for the environment. Um, and the banana industry has ignored it um, because, um, the, you know, they, 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 they've been saying, you know, whatever diseases these bananas get, we can fight by developing new chemicals. In a lot of cases, um, they hire researchers um, who are not breeders or not environmental um, guys, but, but chemical engineers. Um, and, and even these guys have said there may be a different way to, to save the banana or to, to make it healthier. But but the banana industry has ignored these warnings um, because it's not part of its business model. Uh, their job is to deliver profits to their stockholders, um, and and that's and to do that they have to deliver the cheapest possible bananas. Uh, within that context, uh, it's a lot easier to develop a, a chemical um, that that's going to destroy whatever blight is hitting you and 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 may incidentally poison a, a bunch of workers than it is to develop a, a safer environmental practice centered around multiple varieties, all of which are costly to produce um, and which require different production methods for each variety. Hmm. We've got to get into it because we've made reference to it uh, in our conversation here. Of course, the the disease, although you named several diseases, but one specific, I believe, is it uh, Panama that is spreading around the world? Right. So, uh, I mean, here's the fascinating thing about the banana. I mentioned that there's just one variety. When the banana industry began about 100 years ago, it also had one variety, but it was a right. different variety, and that variety called the Gros-Michel was wiped out by a disease called Panama disease. Because it was a monoculture, it was susceptible to this terrible fungus, mm-hmm. and the fungus destroyed the banana industry. Uh, by 1950, there was functionally no more Gros-Michel left as an industrial product, but they happened upon the Cavendish banana, which was resistant to Panama disease and recovered. Unfortunately, a new strain of Panama disease emerged about 20 years ago, and is now chasing the Cavendish around the world, um, destroying plantations. Uh, it recently was confirmed in the Philippines, which is one of the largest banana growing and exporting countries 
Um, just last year, it was confirmed there, and some Philippine growers have told uh, their their, uh, their the local media there that the Philippine industry has about three years to go before it, it disappears. Mm. And wherever Panama disease hits the Cavendish, it's a near total wipeout. There's no cure for this. Um, so it hasn't hit Latin America yet, where most Americans get their bananas, but uh, but it's coming, and and when it does, it will it will be a disaster. Yeah. And and this is all bananas, not just the ones that get exported. Because I, I know in the Philippines, there's, I believe, your favorite kind of banana is grown there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, actually, Panama disease does not strike all bananas. Oh, okay. But it strikes enough bananas. Let's put mm -hmm. it that way. Um, you know, not every banana gets every banana disease, but almost every banana gets almost every banana disease. And in addition, there are other banana diseases. One called black cigatoka. Um, there, there are um, new. There's a new banana disease in Africa that's emerged. That's that's hitting subsistence bananas, and and what you see in all of these is sort of this the, these vectors that that spread um, often via the monoculture, but but sometimes just via bad agricultural practices, and and so it's not necessarily true that that this uh, Panama disease will kill all bananas, but it will kill enough of them that that it'll create a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, we live in a time again, I, I'm pretty sure about what kind of time we live in. Uh, we live in a time where I think people often think, well, they'll think of something, right? Whether or not that's true, it's always assumed, well, they'll think of something, right? So as we speak, uh, they've been working on their something to solve this this crisis. And there are a number of roads I think they've thought about taking. You've listed several in your work. Um, and, and that's where I wanted to get in a little bit into GMO, genetically modified organisms. Now, for some people, right, GMO is automatic bad. I've had that a lot in my life, that GMO is bad. Um, because you're, you're, you know, splicing one species with another species, but some, you know, even higher tech versions of this. But then, in your book, you point out, and, and I've had my own grandfather point this out to me uh, when discussing mules one day. He said, uh, you know, we have this type of donkey in Portugal that is a mix of, um, I think it's a donkey and a mule or something like that. And we have a name for it. And there was nothing science-y about it. You know, we just, we cross-breeded for a better species. Anyway, not to go into donkeys, to get back to bananas. Um, you, you talk about how, you know, this GMO or the use of GMOs in bananas is not some super high-tech, was never meant to be, could destroy the world type uh, uh, project always. Well, you know, my feeling on GMO is, is, is really is the same as my feeling on the banana industry. I mean, the banana industry has done terrible things, and I, I, w I don't necessarily trust them. But I mm. don't mistrust the banana. I don't mistrust the technology behind GMO. And people who, who see it as just like, oh, my God, you're doing this, this, this gene splicing in the lab, therefore it's terrible, are just not thinking straight. That's not science. The science says that the science is is not benign and it's not not benign it, it's just science it's experimentation what's wrong with gmo is when it's done for the wrong reasons when it's done without transparency when it's done without testing um you know in other words when 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 uh, industrial agriculture companies like monsanto act like chiquita or act like shell or act like oil companies then they're going to do bad things but mm. the research itself, there's a lot of really important banana research being done in labs, not-for-profit research. And mm. if you're talking about destroying the banana monoculture, about improving variety, about increasing resistance, then 
a genetically modified banana is one of the bananas that we need to look at. It's not the only one. There are other varieties out there that grow in the, in the wild, that grow naturally, that are also important. But what I say in my book is what's really important is transparency. We need to know exactly what's being done, what the experiments are, the science needs to be good, and the public needs to be able to make a decision. Um, it's the, the scare tactics, um, again, and I understand why people are upset about corporate GMO. It's horrible things have happened, and I'm against them. I mean, I, hmm. you know, I don't, I'm not a, a fan of, of Monsanto or any of those companies that are doing this um, for profit. But if you have a knee-jerk reaction against genetic engineering, you're also precluding research that's really going to keep people from starving. I promise that. You, if you ban genetic engineering, you are going to end research that's really important for ending hunger. Um, that research is not being done by the big corporations, and uh, this is not an endorsement of that. But, hmm. but we're, when you're talking about the science, that's, that's science. It's not marketing or industry, and, it, and that's important to remember. But then it sounds like they've got a chance here. I mean, this span of time where they're trying to figure out a, a solution, there is a chance here to do it a, a sustainable way, isn't there? Or I guess, I don't know, I guess not, though, because at the same time, you've said there's no turning this ship around. Uh, it's all about spitting out as many bananas as fast as possible. So, it, it, I mean, I don't even know. Is there an answer at this point as to what they're going to do to, uh, to stop the fungus or to at least, well, yeah, save bananas? Yeah, I think there is an answer, and I think the answer is variety. I think, ultimately, you need to but, have more than one banana in the supermarket. You but need to have ha they, are they doing that? Like, like no. Chiquita? Oh. Well, I mean, they're looking at some alternate varieties, but basically, in terms of this disease, they're saying it's not going to happen, um, but if it does happen, it's a long way away, so we don't need to do anything about it. And if we do need to do something about it, we'll be able to develop a chemical solution. Um, and if we don't develop a chemical solution, then maybe there'll be variety. Um, but the, 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 the bottom line is, like, there are so many delicious bananas in the world. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the Cavendish banana that we eat in India, the world's most banana-crazy country, is known as the hotel banana. <laughs> and that's because it's the worst-tasting banana on Earth. So... Let's let's say, I mean, every farmer knows, every gardener knows that that variety is important, that 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 diversity is important, that you don't grow just one thing. And so let's grow more than one banana. Let's start asking our supermarkets for more than one banana, if not because it's going to save the banana. I think it will help save the banana then because we deserve these really delicious fruits, these Thai bananas, these Philippine bananas, these Indian bananas that just taste so much better. I don't understand why we get eight different kinds of apple in my local local supermarket, all of which are delicious, and every once in a while you see one that's new that you never tried, and it's pretty exciting, <laughs> uh, yet we only get this one banana, and it, it, the, it's, uh, we're, we're, we're being robbed. If, if, <laughs> if, not, if, if, if it's not the environment, it's our taste buds that are being abused, and, and, yeah. and why should that be? Yeah. I, I wonder, did you run into a lot of... Um... Uh, efforts being made, especially from governments. I'm going to label governments in this case because I've heard about over the years certain bananas, like uh, I think in Guadeloupe at some point, the French government was pushing that this banana be somehow protected to sort of get them around France and enable them to. I mean, I'm not. I don't know if it's even subsidies or, or some reserve place for this banana in the national, you know, scale. 
Um, have you heard about efforts like this to to encourage certain smaller banana types to to you know rise up and and appear in different places? I haven't heard of a lot of that. Um, I mean, you you see some entrepreneurial um, stuff in Brazil um, with different banana varieties. They've got about five basic varieties, all of which are really good, but but they're they tend to be local. Um, Mm-hmm. The problem is is creating an export structure um, as much as growing. Like, how do you create the shipping um, systems? Um, and that, that requires a lot of money. And I think it's beyond the capability of any one government, although it's not beyond the capability of, of entrepreneurs. I, I've often thought that if the, the banana variety revolution happens, it's probably going to be led by some Silicon Valley um, entrepreneur with with um indian roots um Mm -hmm. because you see a lot of money um coming from over there um you see a lot of people of indian ethnicity in silicon valley who are interested in entrepreneurial and and think differently um and that's where i think it's going to come um most of the stuff that you see in terms of governments protecting bananas and things like that has more to do with a social consciousness um you know france would like to see its former colonies maintain a uh, ex- certain economic status so mm-hmm. so they uh, have regulated that they're going to try to buy some of their bananas from these colonies but those those efforts often don't work because um they tend to be island colonies and island banana populations are very susceptible to hurricanes mm-hmm. so your best middle-aid plans can be wiped out uh, with a single storm yeah all right, Dan. Well, my last question for you today, um, I'm eventually going to write a bit on this topic, uh, at least for United Academics magazine, where I occasionally write. And um, the, the overall theme was supposed to be bad science. And I'm curious what you think. I mean, it's a, it's a general title, but does what's been going on, especially in the banana industry, I mean, is that an example of a, a sort of yeah, bad science or science gone or science ignored in many ways. I'd say it's science ignored. I mean, as far as the research they do, I mean, they're great at developing pesticides. I don't know if you'd call that good science or bad science. I mean, they they have a lot of resources. They hire smart people. Um, in terms of the real common sense science, uh, you know, getting different varieties in there, um, they they tend to go in fits and starts, and they tend to ignore good advice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Chiquita has looked at alternate varieties for a long time. They've they've done very recently some research projects into conventional breeding um, uh, in in Honduras um, at their former laboratory, um, which is still working as a government lab. Um, have they taken any of that information they've learned and brought it to market? I don't think so. I think they they tend to view uh, banana science as, as um, a dead end uh, in terms of breeding because they don't think consumers want another breed or they don't think they can get another breed to consumers. So most of their effort is focused on on pest control um, and and not always on natural methods of pest control. Uh, I think the, the real bad science comes when, when you see the denial of, of the ability to research in genetic modification um, based on some fear that, that doesn't exist. And, and you know, I, I, my book is in two, it's from 2008. Things have changed. Um, uh, I'm going to be coming out with a new edition in 2013. Mm-hmm. But but basically, I encourage people to read my book or, or and look into it and, and find out why bananas are a particularly safe um, product for genetic engineering research, and to remember that that's genetic engineering is just one way you bring variety to the market. Um, it's not the only way. Um, those other thousand bananas that grow naturally are also important to develop and, and export.
Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, one of the aspects of this whole issue is, is that things take very long. So your book may be from 2008. Your follow-up will be in 2013. But this whole, even just the wiping out of the, the Cavendish, this is decades in the making. So that's, that's what makes this an odd issue for, like, the media and people's attention. Yeah, it's decades in the making, but, you know, ask the guys in the Philippines who discovered Panama disease last November. I was actually in the middle of a lecture on kiwi fruit, which is now threatened, um, and they've lost 60% of their kiwi crop in New Zealand. Um, and and my te- banana news alert text message went off, and I looked at it in the middle of my lecture and saw this guy saying three years for the Philippines. Now, that may or may not be true, but it's it, once these diseases hit, it's anything but slow. It's extremely and shockingly rapid. Uh, and, that, and that's a problem because the banana industry, as you, as, you, as you point out, is used to things happening slowly, so they don't really know how to move very quickly. Hmm. All right. Well, for people that want to get their hands on the book, uh, usually it's available on uh, all, the, all the regular book places. I found it on a Dutch uh, bowl dot. NL, but you can also go to Amazon, I believe, and your own website. Uh, are you still running? It was bananabook.org? Yeah, bananabook.org. Um, it's actually down right now. I'm okay. changing servers over this weekend. So okay. It'll be, but, it'll be yeah. up by the time this podcast goes up, so no worries. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I, I also, let's see, I, I follow you here and there on the, on the social media world, so I'll, I'll provide some links for people, and I like some of your past interviews as well that people can listen to. Uh, Dan Capel, thanks a lot, man. It's really good to speak to you and, uh, you know, just someone that I've been following quietly for, for a year or so, or a few now, years. Um, glad that you're out there and uh, glad that we could speak today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And have a great day. That does it for today's program, and what a pleasure to finally have Dan Capel on the program. I have Banana, the book, always in my presence somewhere over the course of the last year. It's been really my constant companion, and it was great to hear from the man himself, not just from the wisdom, but also just from the heart, things that he has learned and can share with us. Uh, Of course, for those of you who might be new to the program, the website is citizenreporter.org. For my part, I'm in Portugal another few days, tending to the needs of my grandparents, and you probably heard all about that in the last podcast. Next week, it's back to Amsterdam and back to hopefully some proper citizen journalism. Uh, So look forward to that and many things to come when September rolls around, but Summer does not mean that nothing is going on. There are always issues and always new voices to be heard. So I'm glad to bring them to you. Okay, that's it. I'm out of here. Until next week, see ya.